I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence, and with me is Ivan Soto-Wright, the Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder of MoonPay. Ivan, you recently announced a solution for non-fungible tokens. What's the significance of this, and what's it going to help you do? First off, I think NFTs or non-fungible tokens, uh, it's an area that everyone's talking about right now. And I think you know we're still very early in terms of the adoption cycle around these assets, but you know, it became very clear that there are a number of marketplaces where people are accessing these non-fungible tokens, which you know, to find them, you can think of them as an asset that's on the blockchain, typically right now on Ethereum, but this asset can represent a wide variety of things. It can be you know, music, it could be a form of media, an art, and it's in a digital format that is authentically true and verified on the blockchain. And what we've built is some solutions around the marketplaces that want to offer the ability for their customers to buy these non-fungible tokens and also be able to sell and redeem these non-fungible tokens. All right. Well, you're basically a payments infrastructure provider. Who are you providing this infrastructure to and how does it interface with existing traditional payments infrastructure? MoonPay, our mission is to bring cryptocurrencies to a billion people by 2030. And we think to get there, we really need to focus on the existing payment infrastructure. So connecting to the existing financial system. Our primary you know, solution that we have in the market today is focused around debit and credit cards. And you know, it's accessible to about 160 different countries where people can use their debit and credit cards to buy and sell cryptocurrencies. But we're also opening up to more and more payment methods. So things like bank transfers, uh, in different parts of the world. Specifically on the non-fungible token front, we work with a company called OpenSea. Uh, OpenSea is one of the biggest uh, NFT marketplaces uh, today. It's completely built on Ethereum. Uh, it's built with smart contracts, which is very cool. So essentially buyers and sellers can interact peer-to-peer uh, -peer using these smart contracts. And MoonPay solution on, on OpenSea today enables customers to buy uh, Ethereum right on the spot. So when they get into OpenSea, they can open up a MoonPay widget, top up their Ethereum wallet, and actually transact and buy a non-fungible token or any piece of art or item on OpenSea. How does this work out in the future? Because at the moment, what I see in terms of digital currencies in particular is that people buy and sell them purely on the basis of what the price of that currency is in something else. It's just an investment. Some might even call it a gamble. How do we regularize that into something that is going to affect the real world? I think we're, we're very early in the overall adoption cycle. I think there's going to be a lot of innovation around these actual assets or NFTs in particular. Right now, in the same way, the best analogy I'd probably come across to try to explain this is uh, you know, the Mona Lisa, right? Everyone knows the Mona Lisa. And if you buy a print of the Mona Lisa, that's not as valuable as actually owning the real thing. And the same thing can kind of apply in this case in the, in the form of the blockchain, right? We know that this is the original piece of art or item that was issued on the blockchain. So that's the original version. Having a copy is obviously less valuable. And so I think today, you know, th there's still some really cool things that can happen where you're kind of combining both kind of the, the digital and physical aspects in some cases. You know, a really good example, Dead Mouse, who's a, a really well-known electronic uh, music artist, uh, released an NFT on Nifty Gateway. 
And it was a music clip. But if you bought that original music clip, you also received a kind of signed physical copy of that item as well. And so I think that's an example of some innovation where it's beyond just owning that non-fungible token on the blockchain, but it also gives you to the right to some sort of physical property. But yeah, I think you know it's really important to note that you know, with any sort of new boom or, or new excitement and innovation with that, you know, there, there does definitely come some sort of speculation. So you really need to do your research on any of these things if you're interacting or thinking about buying them, just like anything else. Um, and you can think of it kind of like property uh, and think of it as a property investment. You say speculation, I would say volatility in terms of price value of some of these assets. Yeah, and I think with anything new, you're, you're definitely see, you're definitely going to see a ton of volatility as the market is trying to basically determine what a fair value or price is, right? And and these markets still they're not as efficient or as liquid as we've seen in, in kind of more traditional markets, the new nascent asset class. So I think you're going to expect to have you know these kind of varying degrees of volatility as it's you know completely new. Well, let's talk about the significance of the blockchain or blockchain in general. Yeah, so I think I think long term, you know, the, the way I like to think about this is, you know, right now we're we're communicating over Zoom. We're using voice over IP, right? So essentially voice over the internet protocol. And that transformed long distance communications. You can remember how expensive it was uh, to place a long distance phone call. Uh, I think the same thing is going to happen to money. And you can call that money over IP. And that's in the form of the blockchain. Now, in the same way that the internet went through a number of different changes to kind of get to where it is today. You know, you're probably using fiber optic. You know, it's 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 super efficient. You could probably remember the days where it was kind of dial up and it wasn't super efficient, right? It was still you heard those terrible noises uh, when you were trying to uh, connect to the internet for the first time. And I think the same analogy can take place with thinking about blockchains and the state of where we are today. These blockchains aren't super performant for things like microtransactions. It's still very expensive to use them for microtransactions, but they're very efficient on a macro level. Like if I want to move a billion dollars from one person to another over Bitcoin, for example, I can do that for under $100 in transaction fees. So my prediction is over the next couple of years, we're going to see more and more innovation, whether it be you know improving the actual layer one blockchains through layer two. So you know finding ways to scale them or you know, brand new layer one solutions that are going to be more fast, more efficient, and cheaper to transact on. So I think in the long term, this can be hugely transformative for the global economy, reduce uh, transaction costs. I think transaction costs can start to tend towards zero in the same way that we've seen that you know, take place in industries like communication. So uh, that's what gets me excited, you know, trying to solve you know, this challenge of global money movement. Well, that's actually interesting because all I could hear you saying when you were just talking there was, we are going to put lots of bankers out of business because you're going to reduce effectively you're saying almost close to zero a major part of their business yeah well i think you know like any new innovation it's it can be super disruptive right but i think it's going to be more of an evolution i think that a revolution right i think a lot of the the banks will find a way to innovate find a way to interact in this new environment learn how to be blockchain protocol native you know, it's actually really interesting. The other analogy I like to think about is like early internet. Um, you know, the early internet use cases were private internets, and those private internets were used in the military in a lot of cases. And I think in, in some cases, what you're hearing now is 
you know, the same analogy is you have banks trying to build kind of private blockchains. And, you know, that's kind of counterintuitive to the global democratizing nature of anyone with an internet connection having access to financial services. And I think ultimately that thesis is what's going to win out. So it'll be interesting to see how banks uh, evolve, you know, with this space that's kind of rapidly changing. In the development of MoonPay itself, you threw out the number of a billion customers, and that's where you want to get to. How do you actually make money from them and stay yeah. in business and be profitable yourself? Yeah, so so a billion, yeah, billion customers, billion users, uh, you know, billion people into to cryptocurrency, right? That's really our, our vision and mission. Uh, in terms of how we make money, there's still friction and costs associated with connecting to the existing financial system. You know, and, and going back, I love analogies. You know, the other one is probably Skype. Skype was one of the very first ones to take advantage of voice over IP. But one of the most popular use cases of Skype was actually to place phone calls in you know, the, the legacy system. Like you could actually place a phone call to someone's actual number and they charge you for that. And that's kind of the same way that MoonPay works is there are costs associated when you want to move from your existing uh, payment method into cryptocurrency. But the idea is eventually, you know, the world becomes more cryptocurrency native or more blockchain native, and those transaction costs go down, and it's ultimately better for consumers all over the world. But there's always going to be costs associated, you know, the different currency uh, conversions, moving between these different countries, uh, different local uh, payment methods that you need to do, uh, following regulation, compliance, you know, making sure that you cover off the risk of fraud. You know, you're combining a irreversible payment method in a lot of cases, which is delivering cryptocurrency, which is great because that solves reconciliation. You know, all the costs really inefficient that banks have around reconciliation, but you have an, a reversible payment method, uh, which is your debit and credit card, where you know you can call your bank and say, "Hey, I didn't make this transaction." So there's a cost associated with dealing with those cases. And we kind of you know, offer an all-in-one solution for a lot of the organizations and companies that want to offer access to cryptocurrency to their end customers. Ivan Soto-Wright, Chief Executive Officer of MoonPay, thank you very much indeed.